So let me talk a little bit about today, then we'll pray and, and read the scripture. Uh, next week, we start our fall sermon series, which will be taking us through Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's a series titled Rooted. Uh, the, the apostle tells us to be rooted and built up in Christ. So we'll invest the fall mostly in that letter. Today, I wanted to focus m- more generally on what we're doing, where we're going, and how we're going to get there as a congregation. And to, to talk a little bit about that, we're going to look at a passage from Luke's gospel today about the shape of Jesus' life. What, what was it that Jesus focused on in this world? Uh, so that, that's where we're headed, and we're going to talk about the portrait of a disciple. What does a, a Christ follower look like? Because if our goal is to grow in Christ-likeness, it would be important to know what a mature Christ-like person looks like. So that's, that's the focus of today. Uh, let, let me pray for us, and then we'll read the scripture together. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that as the, as the Belgic Confession uh, so wisely states, we know your word to be your word only by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And we, by your grace, Lord, have felt your presence, your power in the things that you say. We want to focus on who you are and what you desire. So we pray that you would pour out, pour out your spirit on us and help us in that. For all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. So please, Lord, pour out your spirit on us and help us understand what you have for us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading today from Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, honey. That's my wife, Crystal. You know, Dallas Willard remains one of my favorite uh, authors and Christian thinkers. Uh, he has gone now to be with the Lord. Uh, but my, my opinion is if he wrote something, we should probably read it. It's really that good. One of my favorite books of his is one called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And here's a piece of the introduction from that book. My central claim is that we can 
become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of the Father. Good, right? So good. And we do have faith in, in Jesus. Uh, if, if you're new to our congregation today or kind of newer to the, the fifth church family, uh, you need to know that we take this stuff very seriously. Hopefully not somber-faced, but what I mean by that is we actually believe it. We actually believe that we live in a world where God resurrected Jesus from the dead in his body. That it's not just a kind of a spiritual metaphor of the way Jesus went on living in the hearts and minds of his followers. We, we believe that God did this and that is pinned to the timeline of history never to be undone and it is the most important historical fact for everyone everywhere. We actually believe that. We actually believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that he came to do exactly what he said he claimed to do, namely to rescue humanity from our sin and brokenness and separation from God, to restore us to a renewed relationship with God. Nobody has the red hotline phone in this life, right? But we can actually have a relationship with God. And not only do we have a relationship with God, but Jesus came to give us an unconquerable hope both in life and in death. We actually believe this stuff, right? And so we believe that Jesus knew best how to live as a human being. So this is the where we're going part, right? We're growing to be more like Jesus. Our mission statement around here is growing disciples who make disciples. And I, every word, I remember the, the group in the room as we kicked the tires on that for nearly 18 months. Not rocket science, right? It comes right from scripture. But every word is carefully chosen. Growing disciples who make disciples. The, those first two words, growing disciples, are wonderful because they can be taken in one of two ways, both which are very appropriate and biblically true. Growing disciples is a description of who we are. We are growing as disciples. We are on the journey. We haven't arrived. No one has arrived. We are growing disciples who are called to make other disciples and who are making disciples. In addition, it is the activity in which all of us are engaged as followers of Jesus. We are to be growing disciples Growing other people, investing in others such that they too might grow up to become disciple-making people. We are growing disciples who make disciples, not to make disciples. Growing disciples who make disciples. This is the work to which Jesus calls his church. 
Yes, we gather weekly for worship as is appropriate and good. Yes, we have programs for children and students and, and adults from different seasons of life as is appropriate and good. Yes, we serve our neighborhood. We serve our greater community through some primary partnerships with, I hope, the love of Jesus seen visible in our community. That is appropriate and good. But worshiping God, loving people, and becoming like Jesus is our goal. That, that's what the word disciple is all about. Literally, the, the word disciple means a student or a learner. The best word that I've found in English is apprentice. That kind of gets it if you think of apprenticing to learn a skill, to, to, to do a job. In, in the ancient world, the rabbinic concept of discipleship was not simply that a disciple would come alongside a rabbi so as to learn what the rabbi knew. The concept was that a disciple would come along a rabbi so that the disciple could adopt not only the thinking but the entire way of life of the rabbi, the perspective, the way that perspective influenced every interaction in the world in which we live, how they thought about resources and conversations with people and what was important and, and how I led my life. That's what discipleship means. That's who a disciple is. So if we're heading toward Christ-likeness, we need to look at Jesus and to observe the shape of his life. Now, Jesus lived his life focused on three primary categories of relationship. We saw this in the scripture we just read today. He focused upward, his relationship with God the Father. He focused inward with his chosen followers, a spiritual family he built, and he focused outward on a hurting world around him. Look again at the scripture. Jesus got up. In one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Up, right? He, he was engaged in relationship with his father. There's a book I love called Building a Discipling Culture by Mike Breen. So I'm gonna throw in a quote from that for each of these. Our up relationship with Jesus is how we abide in him. Our efforts are worthless if we do not have the up in our lives. We will be fruitless without it. There is no other way. And as as Western Christians, we have to acknowledge this because our default mode and great error is to think that we can figure it out. By organizing it better, by throwing more resources at it, by making a clearer plan. Now, I'm not arguing against planning and organization. I mean, I was an organizational behavior major. I love this stuff, right? That spiritually, that will never get it done. Because scripture like talks about living life completely in a completely different way, right? That in our weakness, God's power is made visible. Not when we come off strong and like figured it out and got it done ourselves, right? It's, it's just the topsy-turvy world. So abiding in Christ, a, a, a devotional life that's enduring through all of the ups and downs of life, where we're pursuing God, we're, we're seeking the Lord. Jesus did that. Jesus got up. Jesus also invited others in. The scripture passage we read today continues. When morning came, he called his disciples to him 
and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus built a community around himself. He built a spiritual family. He invited other people in to his life, and of course, he was investing in them. Jesus selected these 12 specifically so he might be with them, spend time with them, and build strong relationships with each of them. But this was not just a a seminary setting. Jesus came as a human being and showed us the way human beings are to live out their lives in society with others. You know, Jesus knew how to live. We believe all this stuff about him, And in addition to that, he is the best example of what it means to be truly human. So we look to him as our way of living. So up, in, and finally out. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So Jesus went out to pray and through his active relationship with his father, God the Father, he went back, presumably guided by the Father in this, and selected 12 to be with him, to be the smaller community of people, not only in whom he would invest, but with whom he'd kind of do life to enjoy community. And if, if you know the living arrangements of, of people in Jesus' day, they didn't live in individual households kind of like we do. They lived in kind of family compounds called an oikos, and it, and it was a big area, had multiple rooms and kind of a central courtyard area. So this whole extended family lived together. So these, these 12 lived together. Like they lived in the same house, communal living. And Jesus threw open the doors of that that commons area of their home and invited the world in. And that's where the last part of this this passage happened. So together, they were engaging the world. It wasn't just Jesus on his own. He was kind of doing mission in the world with his little spiritual family, his community that he had built. Up, in, and out. This was the shape of Jesus' life. And and this three-dimensional pattern for living a balanced human life, I would argue, is seen throughout Scripture. If you you read the New Testament with this kind of picture in your mind, you'll say, oh, yep, there it is. There it is. There it is. It's one one of those kind of things, right? And therefore, I would argue, needs then to be applied to our individual lives and to our communal life if we're growing in Christ-likeness, right? This was the shape of Jesus' life, up with the Father, in with what we might call the church and out to the world. This was the shape of Jesus' life. So for followers of Jesus, this is the portrait of a disciple. And I wanted to talk about this because in, from my perspective, I don't know what you think, I don't know if you're in tune with this, from my perspective, uh, at, at leadership levels in the church, maybe denominationally for us in the Reformed Church in America, certainly in, in other conversations in the Western church, there's been a resurgence uh, around the importance of discipleship and discipling. 
and kind of an acknowledgement that maybe we've lost some of the ancient ways and, and we need to return to that which was normal and natural in the ancient church and interestingly, which is normal and natural in the church of the global east and global south. In some ways we've just kind of gotten away from it. Um, and so, so people have gone about these great, these great efforts to kind of detail what a disciple looks like. And I must admit being guilty of this. I was looking back, I think I preached a Marks of a Disciple series, like back, whatever, seven or eight years ago, which was, you know, you're trying to lift stuff from scripture and say, well, a disciple is a person who uh, is, is stewarding their resources. And a disciple is a person who's praying. And a, a disciple is a person who... And the more I've thought about that, the more I thought that that is a bit of a fool's errand because we're trying to put all these activities together where if I, if I could have a checklist, check, okay, I'm doing that, 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 good, good, I'm a disciple. That's not it, right? And at a very simple level, we don't even have to do that work because if the definition of a disciple is a person who is growing to look like Jesus you're focused on the word of Jesus, growing in the ways of Jesus, even by the Spirit's guidance and power, engaging in the works of Jesus in the world, our, our portrait of a disciple is Jesus. Right? This is not rocket science. As a person who is discipling me often mentions, we in the Western church like to make faith complicated and easy, while in fact it is simple and hard. That's so good. We're just growing to be like Jesus. We don't need to pick and choose what a disciple looks like. Disciples of Jesus are to look like Jesus. So, maybe this is it. I'm using other people's language here. I might not choose these words, but up, in, and out, we could also look at passionate spirituality, on the upside, I think there's a slide for this. Can we advance to that one? Maybe I think it's a couple forward. One more maybe. There we go. Passionate spirituality on the up, on the in, radical community, on the out, missional zeal. Now whether you like the descriptive words, passionate and radical, and that sounds a little trendy to me, right? The point is there. Up. Jesus had a dynamic, enduring relationship with God the Father. So should his followers. Jesus invested in community with his followers. And that community was markedly different than any type of community offered by the world. Same should be true of Jesus' followers. And Jesus reached out. He didn't write anybody off. He had compassion on, on everyone. I mean, sometimes hard compassion, grace and truth, right? He was particularly hard on religious leader kind of people who claimed to understand what was going on, but really were kind of leading people away. But we know who God is and what he's like because of Jesus. We know that even that direct truth is delivered in love. You know, says the scripture, God's patience is intended to guide us to salvation. So, portrait of a disciple. It's a picture of Jesus. Relationship with God the Father, 
some kind of relationship with other believers where you're experiencing community that's markedly different than the community the world offers and a heart for the out. And my friend who is discipling me said that he has found around the world, wherever followers of Jesus are, if they've grown in maturity in their faith, they will figure this out somehow, some way. That they'll push through all the barriers that, that kind of war against a dynamic devotional life with the Father. They will intentionally invest in community with other Christians, even when it's hard, even when they don't like it, even when it's uncomfortable. And they will figure out a way to connect with people who don't yet know Jesus. They will not let that go because they know it's the Father's heart for the world. So a portrait of a disciple, passionate spirituality, engaging with scripture, listening and responding to, to the Father, the, way, the ways God might be getting our attention, engaging in corporate and personal worship. You understand this isn't the only time we can worship together. You know, this great picture of uh, Israel, Jacob, at the end of his life, I can't remember what verse it is, toward the end of Genesis, but he, he, Jacob leaned on his staff and worshiped. This is a great picture of an elderly man seeing what God has done so overwhelmed by his faithfulness as he's leaning on his staff, he worships. Personal worship. Practicing spiritual disciplines, you know, passionate spirituality, radical community. Is Is there somebody, maybe a couple somebodies at least, with whom you can be transparent? With whom you can just really open the doors to where you know in your heart there are, there are no secrets there. It's not appropriate to share everything with everybody. I get, the, I get that. But do you have that? Christians do that for each other, the right people. Transparency, vulnerability, sharing in our weakness, not trying to put on a mask, not trying to show that we've got it all together because we don't. None of us do. I certainly don't. I know you don't either, so let's stop pretending. Right? Are, are we praying with other Christians? Do we have some kind of community? You know, church, churches put stuff together. Like, we have community groups. And I, I get not, not everybody in a congregation can be part of their, that congregation's organized community group thing. But the heart of it is to have some kind of structure at least where we can come together as Christians, know one another more deeply, know what's going on in each other's lives, pray for each other, do life together. I mean, all of that. We need that. You know, if it's not an organized thing in your church as a Christian, you gotta have that somewhere because that's, that's a thing. Radical community, missional zeal, kingdom-focused prayer. Remember, Jesus showed us the way our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. I would argue that one of the very first things Jesus taught us when he taught us that prayer is that our prayer ought to lead with remembering who we are in Christ, remembering our our, our identity in the Father, and then praying that God's kingdom would come to earth. Because you know that uh, Jewish people believed in this age and in the age to come, kind of like, I should have written it on here, this age and the age to come, right? And I so, I so remember this. We were in Israel and our tour guide, David, who was a faithful Jewish person, said, I'm, I'm not a Christian because the Bible says when the Messiah comes, there'll be peace. Look around the world, is there peace? He had this age and the age to come. In his thinking, uh, 
when the age to come arrived, all would be well. Peace would be here. But what Jesus did, he did this. They overlap now. We still live in the age to come, or sorry, in this age, but the age to come has arrived. And we are living in that right now too. So we're people of the overlap. Right? Thus Jesus says, join me in praying that the age to come will fully come. Join me in viewing every human being everywhere in terms of the age to come, who God created them to be, what God desires for them, the person God is, is, is calling them to be, right? So I'll be very direct with you. If you're just going to church, not actively pursuing God, seeking the Lord, not figuring out how to engage in what God is doing in the world, you're missing the boat. I mean, this is a whole life commitment thing, right? Can be, should be, I would say, impacting every area of our lives, every word we speak. Now, I get nobody's perfect. We are like, oh, man, did that come out of my mouth? I mean, this, it's a journey, right? But, but it, this impacts everything. We don't leave here and put our faith on the shelf for the week and go do what we do for the week and then come back on Sunday. This is everything. Every resource over which we have command, every relationship with which we engage, every, every uh, decision we make about how to respond to, to someone. This is, this is the whole deal. Because, you know, in the age to come, will in Christ, by God's grace alone, be fully the kingdom kind of people that God created us to be. So everything that we're doing in this age, in this overlap time, is either cooperating with the people we will be or grating against it. It impacts everything. Why wouldn't we put down the greater and take up the effort to live more fully into who we will be finally in Christ. This portrait of a disciple will be our focus for the entire program year. And we're trying something a little new. We've had kind of rotating Sunday seminars on Sundays, but this, this uh, certainly fall, probably into the next, uh, next semester a bit as well, we're going to have a Sunday seminar after every Sunday morning service, except for the first Sunday of the month when we celebrate communion together. We're gonna to try to incorporate more a corporate prayer together as a body on that day, so we won't have a kind of a Sunday school Sunday seminar after that. But every other Sunday, there'll be a seminar unpacking some aspect of this portrait of a disciple. The first three will be on this passionate spirituality, radical community, missional zeal, and we'll move on from there. And uh, pastors Brian, Sam, and I, the whole staff, we're going to do our very best to deliver our best stuff, right? To offer the best equipping that we possess at this time as to how we can follow Jesus more faithfully together. So join in. Let's do this as a family, right? Let's go after this. Jesus gave himself for us. He's making us new people. Let's go after that together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you that you have demonstrated your love for us by sending your son into the world, that we might have life in his name in the present and in the age to come.
Thank you for that. Thank you that your promise is not just uh, heaven when we die in some kind of disembodied, cloudy heaven land, but a resurrected body, a new creation, a new earth, everything renewed and restored to your created intent. So Father, would you pour out your spirit on us? Would you give us wisdom to see how it is that you are working in each of us individually and in us as a corporate body? And give us the courage to partner with you in what you're doing in our lives. Father, we pray that you would remove all barriers, that where there's fear, that you would overcome that fear with your perfect love, and that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit toward Jesus. We know, Lord, that every other human being in this world has the potential of letting us down, even our religious leaders and pastor types. But we know, Lord, that you will not let us down. So help us to fix our eyes upon you and trust you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.